Shall we pray before we get started this morning? Dear Father, I thank you for our opportunity to come here and worship you this morning. Thank you for this new year, new beginnings. And just be with us as we hear the words of love one another for Mike and pray that you will give us listening ears and open hearts to hear the message you've given through him. In thy name, amen. 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 Thank you, Susan. Turn this on. I think it's on. <clears throat> Sometimes my secretary, <clears throat> who shall rena- remain named Angie, <clears throat> puts commentary in uh, the proclaim that you see up here in anticipation of me putting the notes in the sermon. And uh, I opened up this morning and it said, love one another. I think it said it's not an option, <laughs> I think is the commentary that she put in there. <clears throat> Or it's not a suggestion, that's what it was. Well, it reminded me of a cartoon that I'd seen before years ago of the Peanuts, you know, with Snoopy and Charlie Brown. It's Christmas time and Lucy comes in where Charlie Brown is standing and says in the way that only Lucy can say, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Tis the season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Therefore, I suggest we forget all of our differences and love one another. Charlie Brown, whose face lights up, says this. He says, well, that's wonderful, Lucy. I'm so glad you said that. But tell me, do we have to love each other only at this season of the year? Why can't we love each other all year long? Lucy's response, what are you, a fanatic or something? (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if we look at this idea of loving one another kind of in that context. And I think over the last year, a couple of years as a congregation, we, we've been talking about and thinking about what it means to be the church, and particularly the church in a world where God is working and moving. And there are different ways that we can go about this. And sometimes, unfortunately, throughout history, the church has a way of, of kind of looking inward and thinking about uh, protecting ourselves, having that, that protectionism mentality, that, that we have to guard ourselves from that which is in the world. Uh, and so then it's all a matter of, of, you know, kind of going out into the world in such a way that we're very, very cautious. Now, it's important to be cautious in the world. There's a lot of danger, dangerous things out there, a lot of things that are, are seeking to, to draw us, if you will, away from the, the truth and the love of Christ. But how do we manage this tension that rises up whether we become an inward-focused church or an outward-focused church. I think in truth, when we focus on either one of these, in a way, it begins to neglect the other. Or if we just focus on one, we can do that. We become neglectful of the other. We can't do either, be inward-focused well or to be outward-focused well unless we're really doing both of them at the same time. So let me put it this way. It's not about balancing our responsibility to one another in the church and our call to reach the lost. Instead, I think we need to develop an understanding and a culture where one becomes an expression of the other. I think a good example of this is something that we talked about uh, two years ago. Um, They're gone now, just, just in the last couple of months, simply because the Sticky things that we used to hang them on the wall kept falling down. But do you remember the banners that we had? The nine arts of of spiritual conversation. Ways to engage others who look at at God or at life, spirituality, completely different, not from a biblical worldview. Those nine arts, uh, 
really invited us to think about how God has already gifted us, the gifts, the, the abilities, the, the, the things that we already know and do so well together, but to do it in relationship to those who maybe don't see or understand. And so we learn to notice others around us. We, know to, we learn to pray specifically for those that, that God brings to our attention that we've noticed. We learn to listen well to them, listening to their heart, so to speak, to ask questions then in order to learn more about uh, the, their spiritual journey or maybe the questions that they're struggling and facing. Then we learn to love them as Christ loves them, to welcome them into our lives and into our homes to help create opportunities for them to learn more about God's love and the fullness of His Word. And then to serve together with them. And then finally, to share our faith with them. So that's kind of a quick recap of those nine arts, if you remember. You see, in life, the key is learning to be Christward focused in everything that we do. Jesus captured the seamless relationship between mission and ministry in John 13, 35. And we're going to talk about John 13 here, this, these last few verses today. He said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love or have love for one another. So our focus for 2019 is to consider how our care for one another within congregational life will help us to expand the kingdom of heaven in a broken world. And to do this by reflecting Christ's light So to respond to God's call, we must be equipped and prepared to care for everyone that God brings into our lives. Those within the family of God as as well as those that God is drawing unto himself. And so we kick off the theme for this new year. By this, all men will know. We've got the little sign here. It's out front. Reflecting Christ's love or light in a dark world. So thank you, Matthias, too, for putting that together for us. The first point kind of sums up our direction for the year. If you have your bulletin outline, it'll be up on the screen. God's love is expressed to all people. We kind of heard a little bit of that in the opening video. This understanding that that God truly does love everyone. And to be the church, we are called to love as he loved, which draws us then out of self and into the lives of other people. If we think about our relationship with God and stop at only self, I don't know that we ever experience the reality of the fullness of God's love. Because if it's just a matter of making sure that I've got my ticket to heaven, then have we truly known the essence of who God is? And this is part of what we're going to get at here in a few moments as we look at Jesus' words. But... Even before that, we look here at 1 John 3, a very familiar passage, particularly when we talk about love in the light of the church and in the light of, of the body of Christ. John says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, meaning Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In our world today, it seems like there is an emphasis and a push on trying to determine what the most or the lowest common denominator is 
in order to make sure that nobody feels left out, that nobody feels excluded. But when we look to the Scriptures, <laughs> the opposite seems to happen. God, who is perfect, comes to earth and says, you know, we're going to set the standard here. I can't quite reach that high. And the expectation is that you all meet this standard. Now, at first, that may seem quite unfair, right? I mean, who can be perfect? None of us. But then we understand the reality of God's love because the the gospel becomes uh, uh, so true that through Christ, we are able to be perfected. Now, how does this become evidenced in our living How is this evidenced in our life? Is it just worrying about my own salvation? Or does it mean then that I begin to see a change in my life so that I start to love others as Christ loves them? And in part, I think that's what John is getting at in 1 John. This invitation that that there must be a, a level of sacrifice in our own lives for the sake of others to hear and know and begin to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus sets the standard, the example that we are to follow. Aristides, who was an early second century church author, pastor, he wrote these words. He says about the church, he says, they, I'm sorry, let me back up. Aristides was not an early church father. He was an author in the early second century. And he says this about the church, the Christians. He says, they, Christians, love one another. They do not overlook the widow and they save the orphan. He who has ministries ungrudgingly to him who does not have. When they see strangers, they take him under their own roof and rejoice over him as a true brother. For they do not call themselves brothers according to the flesh, but according to the soul. This is what the early people in the second century saw when they were talking about the church. This morning in Sunday school, the, the discussion that we had was centered around the, the simple question, is Jesus really God? And there, there was a, an individual that was a part of the video that we watched who was an artist, and, and he said this. He said, I can go into the, the backstages of uh, places and, and visit with uh, the different artists there, whether they be musicians or dancers or actors. And he says, it's interesting. I can talk about Jesus, and nobody, nobody pushes back. Nobody gets offended about that. But people seem to get angry when I talk about the church. And so we, we kind of talked about that question. What, what's the difference? Why, why is that? And, you know, I think we can all understand and, and recognize some of the issues there. Well, you know, the, the, the idea of being hypocritical or being overly judgmental or, you know, all of these different things that, that, that kind of come up when we think about the church, the bad experiences that people have had that we have had in the body of Christ because the reality is we're all sinful, we're all broken, Right? That, for me, raised a very important question. I can recognize that reality and use that as a way to dismiss others who want to dismiss me. Well, they've got it wrong, or if that's all as far as they want to go, whatever it is. Or, I can hold that up more as a mirror to look at my own self and say, Lord, show me the areas where I've been hypocritical. 
in such a way that maybe has pushed others away from you. Show me in my own life those areas where maybe I have been judgmental of somebody else in such a way that has not allowed your love to come through. See, it changes things around just a little bit. So my hope is that we can, using Lucy's take on things, truly become fanatics this year. Amen? Maybe not just this year. but from this time forward, loving like Jesus loves. So let's talk a little bit about that. The first, or the second point in the outline is this. Intimacy and honesty with God are paramount to being included in his work in the world. Intimacy and honesty with God, all right? So we have to be close with him. We have to be honest Okay, now I think being honest with God includes being honest with ourselves, right? Because if it's going to happen, we we have to be honest. So let's remember where we're at here in John thirteen. Jesus has just washed the twelve disciples' feet, right? The Passover meal, and then an interesting thing happens, right? Judas is there. Judas has already said it in his mind. He's been uh, tempted uh, by, by Satan. And then we understand that Satan actually enters into Judas. And then at this point, it's Jesus. It isn't Judas who says, well, I got to go now and do what I got to do. Jesus dismisses Judas. Right? It's time for you to go and do what you're going to do. And then in verse 34, or 31, Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Note the significance here of that therefore. Now that he has dismissed Judas, we can get to begin to talk about the more intimate things of God. Now that Judas isn't here. Now, before this, Judas was present, right? He was there for the Last Supper. He, he was present all the way up to this point, and Jesus had revealed all kinds of things. But it's not until Judas leaves that Jesus begins to get down to the, the, the brass tacks, if you will, of what is about to happen. If we want to be loving as Christ loved, then we must know Christ and his love. I know this is a kind of an obvious statement, isn't it? But I'm talking about not just this head knowledge. I'm talking about a, a heart knowledge, a life-changing understanding of who God is. I'm talking about truly knowing it in the depths of our being. Why? Because if we are always stuck at trying to experience the love of Christ for ourselves, then we will never move beyond ourselves. You must settle it in your head and your heart that you are loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're constantly working to earn Christ's love, then your focus is still on you. It's not on Him. It's not on doing His will. It's not on pleasing the Father. It's making sure that I'm okay. And that puts your salvation in your hands, not in his. But he has made the way. We need to receive this gift, not being, basing it on anything else that I can or can't do, but instead based on the fullness of God's grace and God's goodness. 
You see, Judas loved himself. And he wasn't listening to the Lord. He already knew what he was supposed to do. Meaning, he wasn't willing to trust God's plan. Instead, he was going with his plan that he thought would institute what was good. And thus, Jesus didn't reveal the fullness of his plan to Judas. He waited until he was gone. So the point is this. If you want to hear what God is calling you and us to do, you have to be intimate with the Lord. For he only shares these intimate things, these intimate workings with those who truly love him. And listen. So be honest. Be honest with yourself as he speaks to you. Because he's going to most likely start with you first in that process of transformation. It's kind of counterintuitive. We don't want to be thinking so much about ourself, but at the same time, God has to start with self to get it out of the way so that he can really begin to work through you. It's not that we are to be perfect before God will use us. Again, we know if that were the case, then nothing would get done. But we have to have a willingness to be transformed and changed, to be made new every day. And then, then God will include us in the process of inviting others along with that journey of transformation. So what's the goal in this? We see this through Jesus' words. The next point is this. The goal is to glorify God in all that we do. Now, this next verse, pay attention to it as I read this. See if anything sticks out to you. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. How many times do we see the word glorify or glorified in that passage? Five times. Five times. I wonder if maybe we should pay attention to that. (laughs) What is God doing? You know, I can't help but think right now how in the right hands and with the right influence, a master can make beautiful music with any instrument. Heard a story years ago. There was this master violinist in Europe, and he would play in concerts, And he had a a magnificent Stradivarius violin that was extremely expensive, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, instrument. And he would play this Stradivarius violin in concerts and everyone would whisper in the crowd, listen to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. He'd play in churches. People would say, listen, listen to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. He even played before kings and queens, and they too would turn to one another and say, you know, listen, listen to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. All the glory went to the instrument. Then one day, this master violinist was walking by a pawn shop, and he noticed this old, beat-up, worn-out violin. He walked in, he said, how much for that violin? The pawn shop guy looked at it, and he said, eh, $5. So he pulled out a $5 bill and gave it to him. He took that home and polished it up. He refined it a little bit. He tuned it. And then he retuned it because it kept going out of tune. He put some character into that violin. Then came the day when he was supposed to play one of the greatest performances of his life. 
And instead of reaching in and grabbing the Stradivarius, he grabbed that $5 worn out, beat up old violin that he had polished and that he'd worked on. He put it up to his chin and he began to play. And everybody in the concert hall whispered, listen to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what Jesus does with us. We look to others and think, if I only could be as good, or if I only had the gift that they had, or if I only knew what they knew, or if I only had... Where's the focus? Are you looking to bring glory to self or to God? It's a matter of surrender. It's it's a matter of, of letting the Father take what He created, how He created it, and begin to tune it and refine it to bring Him glory. Jesus is making it clear that what He is doing is showing the heart of God, reflecting God's glory in the world. In John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and and truth. Jesus is no broken down $5 violin that you and I are, amen? And if we come to him with all openness and sincerity, he is the master that cleans us up and prepares us to do his will. And when we surrender to the will of the Father, we too can bring him glory. This is our God-given opportunity and invitation. So Jesus makes it clear to the disciples that he is to glorify God. Remember, he's preparing them for his crucifixion. He must sacrifice himself. And thus, the next point, Christ leads in love and shows us again this example that we are to follow. Verse 33. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Only Jesus can make the way. But once the way is made, we're invited to follow. In John chapter 12, just before this, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going. But then he says, we're supposed to follow him. Now, it may seem kind of confusing until we begin to understand that Jesus is making the way. We cannot make the way. Only He can do that. But once He has made the way, then we are to follow the way that He goes. That is our invitation. The next point. The law of love turns, again, our focus from self to God and others. So are you able to love as Christ loved? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
Now it says here a new commandment. The, the translation here of, of new isn't like brand spanking new, like something poof, created new. It's instead like a, a fresh understanding. It's a summary of the law of God. How do we know what we are supposed to do? God's law is to be written on our hearts. What is the litmus test? Love. And Jesus puts it very simply, love for one another. Love God, love your neighbor. And then he says, even as I have loved you. Tertullian in the second century reported uh, the comments again of pagans in his day. Behold how these Christians love one another. How they are tr- ready to die for each other. Has anybody said that about you lately? <laughs> but we live in a Christian nation, right? Well, what does it mean for us to live in the way of Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The invitation is clear. The opportunity is sitting right next to you. And so, the final point. When the church expresses genuine love for each other, we become a beacon that illuminates a dark world and invites others to come safely to the shore of salvation in Christ Jesus. Verse 35. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Remember in the opening remarks I talked about the tension between being outward focused or inward focused. Jesus doesn't even go there. He makes it very, very plain. How does the world know that we are his disciples? It's by us loving each other. The simple act of caring for one another in the life of the body of Christ becomes that light in a dark world, making others know of Christ's love. And it has the opportunity to draw others into relationship because as we love each other, that love spills out in our daily lives. Our cup runneth over, right? Again, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I almost feel like you got to sing it, right? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's glory poured into us and thus reflected into the church and then into the world. Love. Love one another. I want to invite you to start with your neighbor. I mean, like right now, look to your neighbor and say, I love you. Try it. Okay, some are a little easier than others, I know. I hear the giggles. As we see with Jesus' example, love isn't easy, amen? Love confronts. Love challenges. Love is centered in truth. Love can be very difficult. 
So as I speak of love here, please know I'm not speaking of the whitewashed worldly version of passion or simple affection or, or even just simple affirmation. I'm talking about that which is centered in the fullness of God's truth. God is love and Jesus is the fullest expression of that love. And for us to be earnest in loving like he loved, then we must be earnest in knowing him. There's a story about the Apostle John at the end of his life. Again, this isn't scriptural, please note, but the story goes that the Apostle John was the pastor at the church there in Ephesus, and at this point he was so old that he couldn't walk any longer. And so there were disciples around him that Sunday after Sunday would carry him in on a mat and set him down in the middle of the assembly. And from this mat, then, the people would gather around and he would teach. At one point, he would just mutter the words, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Well, this went on for several months. And finally, one of the elders said to him, Brother John, that's a great message. Don't you think that we could hear something else? Then the old pastor John looked at him and said, when we learn this lesson, we'll move on to the next. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that as the church, we are to reflect your glory in the world. First we come and just confess how overwhelming that can be and feel, we confess the reality of our own brokenness and sin, we confess that maybe for some that can become such a heavy weight that it paralyzes us. May your light shine into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts in such a way that we recognize that we are to reflect your image into the world. We're not to have all the answers. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to know everything. We just have to know you and your love. And then begin to seek you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And know that in that seeking, we will find. Lord, help us to open our heart's door to you today so that we can receive the fullness of your love and no longer be centered on trying to uh, earn it, but instead, Father, help us to begin to understand what it means to direct it into a broken and fallen world, starting with each other. Lord, help us to love one another as you have compelled us and called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.